when we did that story um, on the, the Mirai botnet? Mm-hmm. The so uh, I was thinking about that today. Mm-hmm. And uh, who? So who do you think lost more money? <laughs> oh, the, that cr- between Amazon and Facebook. <laughs> Which I guess, as of this recording, you said that uh, they're now back online, mm-hmm. all services. I mean, yes. how long? How long were they out? Out of uh, a while, uh, like twelve hours. <laughs> oh God, we got yeah. millions of dollars more than that. Oh, more than I that. mean, Mark, Mark, yeah, Facebook's stock lost fifteen percent of its value. Holy ah, smokes! Mark Zuckerberg's uh, net worth went down about seven or eight billion dollars. <laughs> Fucking good. I'm playing the world's tiniest violin right now because <laughs> you got to think. What's he gonna do? It was not just. Well, to answer your question. <laughs> The Mirai botnet lost more money because it was more companies involved. Right, yeah. I guess that that is true. But Amazon Damn, lost, Amazon probably lost less money through the AWS thing. I mean, I, they were probably touting like loss of sales, potential yeah. like uh, purchases from from buyers. Like this was Facebook and therefore Instagram, WhatsApp, and uh, various others (laughs) bring it on on to our topic the oculus service was also down you have to link that to a facebook account Mm -hmm. and when they did that it's like it was a dumb fucking idea wow no one could have foreseen this coming ever i'm (laughs) telling you yo so did did this hacker did he have a less dorky name i remember in (laughs) that episode we don't yeah we don't know for certain that it was a hack because matt uh, Matt but, doesn't. I don't think is up to speed. To give please, you a, yeah, yeah. To give you a timeline. Yeah, you spent of today all working like an idiot. So there <laughs> yeah. was a there was a sixty minutes interview with a former Facebook data scientist. Yeah. And um, I'm not gonna recap the whole thing. <laughs> Watch it. It's very interesting if you're interested at all in just how shitty of a company Facebook actually is. But basically, yeah. the summary of the thing was like. Facebook had multiple audits where they were like, we can reduce. The damage we're doing to the world, but in doing so, we'll also reduce our profits. And then they did nothing. Yeah, that. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say, was anybody like, shocked by this revelation? That was the thing I said. Where I was just like, did it, did people not know this yeah. about Facebook already? Because it's not exactly. I, I mean, earlier like, you commented that maybe that reach that this news finally reaches a different audience. But oh it's yeah, not well, our like, our friend uh, Brett said. <laughs> um, it was on 60 Minutes was the thing. So oh, I didn't know 60 like, Minutes still had that much, like... Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. If, if this news finally reached the audience that is the primary target of Facebook these days. Boomers. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is a... If you are at all interested, watch it. Also, if you are all interested in how shitty a company Facebook is, I got two recommendations for you. Mm. Number one, the five-part series on Behind the Bastards about Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, yeah. What's it called? Mark Zuckerberg should be in, uh, in jail for yeah. crimes against humanity. It's very, uh, it's very to the point. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Behind the Bastards. Is that great. like a, is it like the, like a... It's like last podcast on the left, but for po- politics. It's basically yeah. like American Greed, except I like that name better. Behind yeah. the Bastard, yep. yeah. It's just like documenting the, the tales of horrible people. Yeah, no, it's yeah. just, yeah. yes. Yeah, <laughs> stories about shitty people. It's hot button. <laughs> But about <laughs> shitty people. About shitty people. We talked. We joked about this before that we could we could do a spin off of like shitty people in games. Oh, yeah. Just in like just call it exactly that. Shitty people in games. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you that don't know, Hot Button, heavily inspired by both Live Podcast and Behind the Bastards. Yes. Shout out to them. Nice. Um, and we've dabbled in kind of uh, similar like t- like. I, I mean, I feel like yeah. yeah there's we some said, you we could said apply if we, that. If we ever had too much crossover, it would be an episode about Bobby Kotick. 
You oh yeah, me, who's the most? Ba- who's the biggest bastard we could cover in the games industry? And I was like, Bobby Kotick. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't, you don't even need to have like a, you don't even need to have a cross. You can just do an episode on Bobby. He is notorious well, no, that, enough that's now. What I, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah. It's just like how how could we possibly get the closest to intersecting with their theme? Who, who else is in Epstein's little black book? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh my god. That, that, that is also a part of video games. Yeah. But <laughs> um. God. So anyway, another one PBS documentary called The Facebook Dilemma. Two parts. Very good. Describes a lot of how shitty that company is. But basically, data scientist comes out, says, yeah, behind the scenes, we're a real shitty company who (laughs) knows what we're doing to the world and isn't doing anything about it. And then by the time our listeners are hearing this, there may be more resolution to this, (laughs) but they just came back online. Not even even an hour before we started recording. Um, They were all fine for like 12 hours, but... All the people getting locked. We don't up, know who. We don't know who did it. We don't know if it was a hacker. We don't know if it was like an somebody accident. internal. Somebody yeah. was pissed off internally, or if it was a just a straight up coincidence and accident. So I will say this. So in the crypto world, okay, Coinbase is like they're like the Google of of crypto exchanges. Mm-hmm. I will say this: whenever there is a monumental rise or fall in prices, Coinbase always goes goes offline because the amount of people trying to access their servers is overwhelming and then that is the time when most people want to be accessing that shit so funny you bring that up because one theory i saw online was that facebook went offline on purpose yeah i was was one of the tinfoil hat theories facebook went online on purpose to stop people from deleting their accounts after that interview (laughs) no hope hoping that that people would forget by tomorrow short term like yeah I, i mean listen it's like obviously it's not a you know it doesn't. It's not going to stop everybody. But let's face it: if you're offline, will it stop at least one person, and they'll forget by the next day? Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It but is stopping that one person worth losing seven billion dollars in net worth? <laughs> That's where it becomes like, which I'm limb sure, are you cutting off to save another? I'm sure there's an analyst out there who actually calculated. It's like, yeah, it turns out if we turn off the site for this many hours, we save more. I don't know. But, the headquarters, like in case of like break glass, like to, yeah. to your point, yeah. or something that you will probably understand more than Randy would, no offense. Duh. We talked about this in Discord, <laughs> but so it wasn't a DDoS attack. The reason they were offline for 12 hours was because somebody, and again, we don't know who, went in and deleted Facebook from the DNS routing tables. Mm, that is yeah. impressive. This, this, is, this is why oh, you saw their, 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 their domain was yeah, Their domain was sale. available for sale today <laughs> because they were gone from the registry. That's a right, lot more impressive this than just a DDoS we'll, attack. We'll, Holy we'll, we'll pull shit. our money together, a link to hotbuttoncast.com. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that'll get us listeners. But um, <laughs> That is genuinely, holy shit, that's and impressive. And that's not an easy thing to fix no. either. Oh my no. God. Um, so in addition to that, the funniest part of the story, which Randy, I think, mentioned a little earlier, <laughs> is that everything Facebook does is hosted on Facebook servers, which are remote and not on site. So it's this whole like IoT Internet of Things. Yeah. So when their servers went down and when people couldn't access Facebook, not only could users not access Facebook, but employees' badges didn't work, their phones <laughs> didn't work, and they weren't getting any emails or couldn't send any emails, which made solving the thing way harder. Yeah, everyone <laughs> just got the day off. Yeah. <laughs> wow, it's almost like having all these internet interconnected overlapping yeah. system dependencies are, fucking... is a really bad idea. <laughs> As a guy who works on databases and yeah. database automation, I can tell you when you automate stuff, 
Executives think automation translates to it just works, but really an oh, engineer... It's, it's so wonderfully dystopian. Oh, yeah. Like, an engineer knows that automation <laughs> basically just means that when it breaks, absolutely nobody knows how to fix it anymore because it's all... It's well, all... yeah, that's the thing, right? They think automation, we don't have to have people watch it, but automated yeah. systems need more people to watch them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and sure. they go down for longer because it breaks and they got to go, what the fuck happened? <laughs> Yeah, and then you got to track down the one guy in the company who actually like designed like this system yeah. and knows the the, the mm-hmm. part that broke. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah. Well, tying it into the machine. No. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh-huh. <laughs> hello, listeners, and uh, welcome to uh, the kickoff of our third uh, hot button Halloween season. Halloween. Um, <laughs> now <laughs> it's always been fairly uncommon for works of classic literature to get fully adapted into the medium of video games. Uh, Even rarer than that, though, is when the original author becomes a vital part of it. And who else better than celebrated fiction writer Harlan Ellison himself to bring us an actual playable version of his most revered 1967 apocalyptic sci-fi short story like to the digital world with a point-and-click adventure title for the PC, Something that would leave a haunting imprint on those who played it for generations to come. Because this, my friends, is true horror. Not in any overt action or explicit violence, but in its themes. Guilt, insanity, paranoia, betrayal, self-harm, domestic abuse, animal abuse, rape, cannibalism, torture, murder, war, and genocide are all present here. A telling message of psychological and psychological terror that remains just as relevant today as much as when it was first published half a century ago. The big question at this point is where this staple of cult gaming came from and who else was behind its creation. One so powerful that it continued to leave a powerful impression even on us in 2021. Well, thankfully, we have Matt Nudeboom here with us. Hello. To give everyone the rundown. I'm Randall Beatrice, here as always with Austin Blakesley, on our journey to learn, uh, this as well as lose ourselves in the pain and suffering of a frightening and thoughtful tale of what happens when a sentient rogue AI were to trap the last surviving human beings in an endless test of overcoming personal trauma. I thought of a joke. (laughs) I am excited to be here. (laughs) You get it? (laughs) <laughs> we podcast, therefore we are. What? There's no jokes on these. this podcast. Where, do, where is this coming from? Do you get it? Because I said the thing. Yeah, yeah, you did. That well, was that was that was good. By the way, that was you. excellent. Well, I, I was, that was yeah on your mark. Which, by the way, the most amazing thing when I saw uh, like the, uh, poking at your script, it fucking begins on Halloween. Yeah, oh, like yeah. we couldn't oh, yeah. have asked for a better setup. It's like, like yep, yes, it does. <laughs> Literally, Halloween, yeah, Halloween Day, yeah. actually, they they launched it, which is like, you know, it's appropriate Fantastic. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited. This is, uh, is going to be good. So, yeah. All right. Let's get into it. All right. So, <laughs> it's 1992. David Sears has just settled into his new job as a game producer at Cyber Dreams, where he, when, he's Cyber delivered, Dreams. when he's delivered some astounding news. He would soon be helping the company adopt one of Harlan Ellison's short stories into a video game. David, a longtime fan of this famous sci-fi author, was ecstatic. It was his very first job as a video game producer, and it was the opportunity of a lifetime. David asks, oh, could it be Repent, Harlequin, said the TikTok man, or maybe A Boy and His Dog, referring to two of Harlan's most popular works? Hmm. No, they replied. It's, I have no mouth and I must scream. <laughs> David's enthusiasm began to wane as the news sunk in. <laughs> no. Harlan's iconic short story was not for the faint of heart. Slowly, he began to realize the daunting tasks that lay before him. Wow, he thought. 
what have I gotten into? <laughs> Which is just like a perfect, like, yeah. yes. So, and by the way, uh, a lot of this and that story in particular comes from uh, a Game Informer article, believe it or not. They did an expose oh, wow. on, this, on this story in 2013. Right. Yes, you told me about this. And it's actually, they did a very good job yeah. documenting, and it was the two producers that, that made the game, and uh, I mean, look and at that, that. And that would have been before Ellison passed, correct? Yeah, he passed in 2018. 2018? Yes, yeah. correct. So, that was a few years ago. I mean, look at that. It's like video game journalism, like, doing good, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. good journalism. Yeah, and it was, uh, it was impressive. That makes me sad for the future of Game Informer, which has been looking grim for a while. Oh, now. really? Yeah, yeah. no. It is, <laughs> it is nice when you come across that, and I bet they loved writing that, because it was you could tell yeah, a lot it's a of passion. Like, yes, you could tell a lot project, of love was yeah. put into it. Uh, and the other thing I will That's say cool. is too is uh, there is a of course I can't remember the name of the site, but like a very HTML 1.0 website <laughs> detailing like the very like a lot of details about Cyber Dreams history, like a lot of what like a fucking great company name, which is yeah. <laughs> which by the way, at the towards the end of their life, their logo was uh, a sheep with electric legs, like the Philip uh, K. Dick they, yeah. novel. I thought that was very clever. <laughs> Did they ever do any Philip? I guess you'll get into that. I guess yeah, yeah. yeah. Good point. There weren't many. Um, no. Yeah, under their but then works again, under their belt. I mean, it would definitely. I mean, it would definitely be in like the the realm of this other stuff they made. I'll get, I'll tell. Right. I'll, no, you oh, can yeah. tell me if I'm wrong. Is it just two? Uh, it is. They made what? How many games they made? Yeah. So they made five in total. Actually. Oh, okay. So, and right, I will. And I, That's yeah. more than I thought. Right. And I will actually. Uh, yeah, we'll cool. get into all of them. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, so we will be covering. I will. We'll be talking about. Uh, I have no mouth, and I'm a scream. I will say before we get into it, I have no mouth, and I'm a scream is a as. Randall mentioned mm-hmm. uh, a very, uh, I'd say, extremely fucked up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you always have the right word. Given a content yeah. warning, I, I actually just reread it last night um, in preparation yeah. for this. So. Yeah. So as actually, in fact, I think Randall did a very good job, pretty much covering mm-hmm. it all. So it's just like we do so, encourage people to check it out, though. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, like yeah. it's it's I read, pretty. I read uh, the first two and, pages. That computer guy seemed pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah. You you could finish it in about like a, a half Latin hour. Quotes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, yeah. What's the 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 line from The Simpsons? Nobody that speaks German could be evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as Randall was talking about, very classic short story, and by classic I mean that. This story was written in 1967, so this was not like uh, this is not a recent adaptation. No, it was part of a, a compilation of, of stories. It was right? so it was it was originally published in a magazine, and then as oh, wow. a lot of sci-fi was back then, but like many short stories, he he collected it. Sick. So it was a collection, but the collection was called "I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream" and like other collected works. It gotcha. was like the headline story. That makes sense. Also, side note: dress it now. The best name for a piece of fiction ever? Yes. Potentially? Totally. We, I think we've brought that up on here before. Yeah. In fact, I, 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 was, I, was, I was cracking up earlier because I was like, oh shit, how are we going to come up and title this? Because we, we already parodied we already this parodied, I have a, no mouth. <laughs> for a prior topic. Yeah. We oh did, no, did you? Yeah, we did one on the, uh, uh, the, oh, the voice, voice actor strike. Yeah. And then the, the title of that episode is I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream for Hazard Pay. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I have a mouth. Oh, I have a mouth. Yeah. And I must scream. For oh, that's a shame. Oh, it's a shame. You guys. No, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll figure it out. There. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Listen, this story that we're about to go through, I guarantee you, there's enough it material. Sticks, it sticks with you as hard as the name does. Oh yeah, it's got plenty of material. The title's gonna be Latin. Yeah. We can we can just refer to it as I have no mouth from here out if we want to just for brevity's sake. Oh yeah, I call it I have no mouth. I didn't even write that all out. I I have I H N M. I H N M. It's like yeah, but you should call it a uh, what is it? Kojitu ergo hot button. That'll yeah. just be it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but then then they'll probably think it's like a philosophy podcast. And, and yeah, this is definitely a game where it's like, how do you get to that point where you get an author and working Seriously. on a game like that of that caliber? So talk talk about Harlan Ellison real quick. So Ooh, cool. Have you guys did you have you guys heard of him before? Oh, I've heard stories. Yeah. Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah. he's an interesting stories. he's an interesting fellow. Eccentric. I yeah. believe would be a good word for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean I like that. But then again, what sci-fi author isn't it, you know? That's true. So Yeah. So Harlan Ellison is the author of I I have no mouth and I'm a screen. He is by far one of science fiction's most prolific writers. Over the course of his lifetime, and he was born in 30s, 40s, but uh, over the course of his lifetime, uh, published more than 1,700 short stories, novellas, screenplays, comic book strips, teleplays, essays, and one video game. So, Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, I know this is his game, but I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious what those screenplays were. Because like you brought oh. up Philip K. Dick earlier, and his stuff gets... Uh, like you know translated to film like left and right yeah mm-hmm. so he so he early in his career besides writing science fiction and i'll talk about this uh besides writing fiction he wrote for television early on in his career mm-hmm. he wrote yes. a star trek episode, he wrote a star he? yeah oh, oh like yeah a famous one a very famous in fact actually so kudos to him for not being like a curmudgeon when it came to the evolution of like of storytelling yeah. mediums and entertainment yeah yeah like, so <laughs> yeah weirdly a lot of sci-fi of? authors are good point okay with the advance <laughs> of technology <laughs> More this so true, than other actually. authors. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Harlan, his career uh, took off in the in the sixties to mostly the late sixties, actually. So this is like a post-Cuban Missile Crisis sort of sixties. I mean, that know. was a reflection in his works. Oh uh, like uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> the yeah. post-war. I mean, it was this like the 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 era of like the pulp sci-fi stuff where they got paid by the word, or uh, so. You know oh, what? I w- I don't want to say that's the 50s. I think it's the 50s, like okay. that golden era of sci-fi yeah. you're talking about. So With this like is... Asimov and yeah. L. Ron Hubbard. And... Yeah, I knew I, I, so I, I knew he was American. It's Cleveland, Ohio is where he's from. Yeah, I, I oh yeah. Know. I think he moved out to he moved out to L. A. later in his life. Obviously, yeah, yeah. He, but uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that late 60s style. Uh, he uh, so his style is he employs a very gritty and surreal writing style, which. Critics call the new wave of sci-fi, which to distinguish from Arthur C. Clarke, Heinlein, uh, Isaac Asimov, that new gritty style of writing, which emerged in, you know, the 60s, the post... 50s, 60s. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, of course... I mean, that's neat. It's surprising that there'd be an audience there for that already. Keep in mind, too, that it's like sci-fi back in the day, like, it was not so mainstream. It often appealed to 
you know, outcast people, you know, people who are not like uh, the youths, the youths. Yes. Which, <laughs> and, and who were the youths back in the day? A lot of underground, a lot of hippies, yeah. stuff like that. So, you know, probably appealed to those folks. So he definitely rejected. He was definitely the type of writer who rejected that idea of being labeled new wave. You know, I'm too too restrictive because he was, you know, he was curmudgeonly like that. Yeah. D- like, didn't yeah. like labels. Like didn't was, like labels. Yeah. Uh, same thing. I, I was, yep. Nope. Same thing. And don't he was, categorize me. Yeah. That's, <laughs> and same thing with the. He was he specialized in speculative fiction. Uh, and he said that that was different than science fiction or he would say that yeah oh yeah he would not well, so. i guess i apologize for the he maybe he would have been offended if i am no don't be offended <laughs> or don't don't, don't apologize no that's, that's, uh, yeah he was just he was that type of argument sure yeah. so i mean when you think about it isn't all science fiction speculative fiction well that was the problem uh, yeah. yes i think i think it was just like he would say like i write speculative fiction and then everybody would be like that right, that is science fiction yeah it's part of it <laughs> So, and uh, because he wrote the speculative fiction in this late 60s, uh, you know, era, his speculative fiction was very bleak. You know, a lot of people, they were, you know, Vietnam, you know, started picking up. A lot of people started feeling like that the future was not looking so bright, especially like they had just nearly gotten killed and started World War Three. So you can see that with, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. I have no mouth. It's just like technology will kill us. Yeah, the commies are coming. Yeah, that's true. I mean, an increase of of those fears and also being more politically aware, like, and and just conscious. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, yeah, that plays into one of the characters too, so. It does. But But I guess you're you're right in that, like, war also uh, breeds a lot of, like, tech booming, like, your uh, growth, rather. I think, I think a lot, I think war also breeds a, yeah, a cynicism about human nature and the bleakness of- Rightfully so. Yeah, so, but besides I Have No Mouth, uh, his two other most well-known works uh, are A Boy and His Dog, described on Wikipedia as uh, focused on an amoral boy and his telepathic dog who work together as a team to survive the post-apocalypse. Yeah, until the last part, it sounds like a Saturday morning cartoon. Like, yeah, that's great. Right. Make that into a video game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, great. that's what the one guy wanted. I think. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. So apparently, it's like a it's like a cycle. So it's like uh, it's like he releases short stories, vignettes. It's not yeah. one whole contained narrative. Uh, and the other one is, like uh, I guess, probably his like most well known uh, is uh, "Repent, Harlequin," said the TikTok man. Uh, which is like the most sci-fi name on the face of the planet. <laughs> Only a sci-fi writer comes up with that type of name. I have no idea. Oh, it was, I didn't read the plot synopsis, but it's something about rejecting, author- like rebelling against authority. So, which is very 60s, very 60s, mm-hmm. all this stuff, yeah. Um, but you had mentioned uh, the Star Trek episode, yeah. and that is probably, you know, very well known and famous for that. He wrote the episode of the OG Star Trek, City at the Edge of Forever. Yes. Which to this day is considered the best episode of the original oh, really? series. Yes, not just like oh, one shit. of the best, but the best of the original series. It was like, yeah, he was very, he was famous. I right wish it. I had, you know, more of a, yeah, more I, knowledge of Star Trek, and then I, I, I you know, speak what? on that. Um, no, I was, I was thinking about looking it up to, to like just watch it and just be like, see his yeah. handiwork. And I, no, I didn't even, I didn't even uh, find okay. time to do that. Actually, anybody I've watch n- it? Anybody I've here? never seen a second of Star Trek in my life. No, other I than either. the. The movies, the newer movies. Yeah. You probably know, offended a lot of people. I know that's blasphemy. <laughs> and I was a Star Wars fan, and you know what? Maybe you guys were right. <laughs> that history's vindicated yeah, them maybe after I should have gotten to Star Trek. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we'll look into that uh, sometime. I'm sure we could we could find it. I know so many stories surrounding just through cultural osmosis. Like we we know the characters and at yeah, least the, the, exactly like the oh yeah yeah foundations for 
Yeah, but, I know so many stories surrounding the original Star Trek about like the production and the people behind it. I have never seen a single minute of the original Star Trek, just I know the story. I mean, it's a little it. before yeah. our time. Yeah, it's so, understandable. But, right. Yeah. So, but that episode actually led to one of television's most notorious feuds, actually, because Harlan, uh, he submitted his script and he openly and frequently criticized Gene Roddenberry and other staff for changing his script from the one he submitted to the one that was aired. Now, keep in mind, his aired script, the one that Gene Roddenberry edited, won the Writers Guild Award for Best Episode of Television for that year. And, Sorry, and, and, me... he, and he still felt some kind of way about yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> uh, let's see. The, uh, the 1968 Writers Guild Award for Best Episodic Drama in Television and he still <laughs> felt cheated because it wasn't his original script that yeah, got it could aired. have been. It might be award-winning, but it could have been better. <laughs> okay, <laughs> was it trimmed for content or time? I, you know what, I'm, mm, I actually don't know. Okay. I, it wasn't more specific than that. Yeah, but the funny thing is, if you want to know more about that episode, okay, yeah. there's plenty on it because they actually printed a book with like. It was literally a book that had like 10 versions of that script and then like the history of each revision and the history of the episode. You got you can look it up. I think Harlan published it himself, actually, because, yes, he was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why? Well, he's just like, <laughs> yeah, no, he wanted what a good middle finger to the system now and just like release it on your own accord to be like, this is what I actually wrote. No, it really it, it was. The guy was like the guy was just absolutely <laughs> like he would not lose a battle he would become obsessed which brings me did he ever have an editor <laughs> i feel like oh, he probably yeah probably <laughs> which brings me to my next point this was the first instance of many instances which earned harlan ellison the long-standing reputation of being a fiery abrasive asshole <laughs> he was he this guy just did not know <laughs> when to just step away he would <laughs> Every hill was a hill to die on for Harlan Ellison. <laughs> so uh, I've got a couple of wonderful stories oh, about yes, his life. Please. Uh, starting with, uh, so he, you said he was born in Ohio. He went to Ohio State University. Okay. He was expelled after 18 months for hitting a professor who had denigrated his writing ability. <laughs> and over the next 20 years of his life, sent the professor a copy of every story that he published. <laughs> I'm not. This is a true what a story. What a vindictive <laughs> asshole! I love it. To call this guy. Oh god. Oh, this is even better. So, <laughs> one time, as part of a contract dispute, he mailed 213 bricks to a publisher with postage due at signing, and then later what? it was followed by a dead gopher, which arrived later via fourth class mail. So it traveled the slowly. Fuck the, 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 does that mean? Like. Postage was signing. He mailed them no. two hundred and thirteen bricks, and then they had to pay by the weight of the brick. No, but I mean, what did that the dead gopher like represent? It was just like, he was just <laughs> mad. He like, just got. Where did he get it? <laughs> I don't know. I, he's probably a resourceful man. He probably yeah. Can. He seems like the kind of guy who's got a couple dead gophers. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, <laughs> 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 Sorry, that image just makes me laugh. Just all these bricks, like it's just showing up. Just be like, by the way, uh, okay, postage is uh, Dude, two 
Like a hundred in, who do you tell? Just like hey, why? Oh, why two hundred and thirteen? <laughs> there was probably a specific reason. Like you know, he it's probably, like a level of OCD that it is a le- yeah. <laughs> it had to have been like two hundred thirteen bricks. It would be measured out to be you know what they probably shorted him on like a payment, and he measured it out so that the cost of the weight of two thirteen bricks that's, was the exact amount of money that they shorted him for. I guarantee that it. sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> so, shit posting before the internet. No, okay, you had to be creative about it. Yeah. I am telling you right now, this guy you read about this guy's life you know how it's like you know it's like when you when you first discover the internet and it's like you type something like that you really like something you type your opinion you're like i'm so right and then someone comes back (laughs) at you and they're like no you're wrong you're an idiot this is why you're wrong and it's like you're young so you pissed you type like a novel like rebutting them and telling them why they're wrong and why they're an idiot that was this guy's entire life and what he did for a living (laughs) hell yeah if someone told him he was wrong he would spend so much effort proving that he was though he was right. <laughs> but so. he but he did that in a lot of very unconventional ways, oh, which yeah. I think is oh, yeah. kind of adds to the the charm of it. Yeah. So uh, he was also so he he was hired by Walt Disney Studios as a ri- as a writer. Wow. And was fired his first day by Roy Disney, Walt Disney's brother. He showed up to Epcot and he's like, "This is bullshit." <laughs> he actually, so he joked in the studio about making an animated porn film with all the Disney characters. Oh, well, th- there's a lot of urban legends about about how protective Disney, uh, Walt Disney especially, was over his brand. You probably heard about the mythical yeah. Mickey Mouse and Minnie, Minnie like the, yeah, the yeah. in-house studio joke that yeah. may or may not have existed where they yep. were fucking, yep. and it was shown at his birthday party, and he like wigged out and fired, like, there's no, you know, we don't know how much, like, truth there is to that, but... It it goes to show that even back then, oh, like yeah. there was that was Disney's whole philosophy is to like yeah. I didn't know who Roy Disney was before this, by the way. I had to I had to read what like what his relationship to Walt Disney was. So <laughs> yeah. but yeah, no, that makes sense that it's like first of all No, but that's unsurprising. If you had anything non uh I don't know, non-Disney to like, like a, a suggestion that was that didn't vibe with their. Uh... Oh yeah, no. <laughs> what year was that? Uh, that was actually, you know what? I don't have the the year listed here. I was, I was gonna say if that was after his sci-fi stories, I it was probably. Then it was amazing that he was ever consulted at any point to begin with. <laughs> You know what? That's a good question. You know what? It must have been. He probably got a hookup because he did a lot. He didn't just write Star Trek. He wrote a lot of episodes of television mm-hmm. back in the day. He probably got a hookup through there. I'm thinking it was the I 60s. I mean, they, they reached out to a lot of different creatives because remember, he wanted to relocate people on like the East Coast and West Coast to, to yeah. like the facility in Florida. Oh, like yeah. animators, yeah. writers, yeah. all kinds of like. That, yeah, so, but uh, trust me, I can guarantee you Harlan Ellison is a man who would not have liked that, that job at, at oh, God, Disney no. Studios. Yeah, Are you he kidding? Would, he probably dodged a real bullet there. <laughs> Good for you, Harlan. Yeah. So, yes, Harlan was sci- sci-fi as passionate, misanthropic curmudgeon, and he loved every second of it. He This was a badge <laughs> he wore proud. He knew his reputation. He didn't care. It. Oh, yeah, he called himself a rebel and something else. He knew he was a dick. Uh, he published hey. essays on cultural criticism as frequently as he did fiction, which is, you know, he... he oh, just, like, review, like critiquing just... Yep, critique, he critiqued, things? like, like television, like okay. you guys said, movies. He does, apparently, he did apparently critique... Computer entertainment, which we'll you know, oh. play into that later. Oh, I'm so interested to yeah, hear so, his perspective on that. <laughs> uh, one of his books, Dust Jackets, humbly describes him as possibly the most contentious man on earth. 
<laughs> and the author of Psycho, Robert Block, described him as the only living organism I know whose natural habitat is hot water. So this guy was known. <laughs> That's a good quote. It is a good quote. Robert, <laughs> Robert Black. He's almost like he's some sort of writer. <laughs> yeah. So, and then another interesting thing about this guy is um, he... Did not like it when people messed around with him. He was not afraid to leverage his God-given American right to uh, file lawsuits. And oh, are they going to say punch people because he apparently no, did that at the, no. the Ohio he, College? But... He, he wasn't afraid to go after people in court because it was mm. like if he couldn't, like he needed that. Very Billy Mitchell type, if you will. Yeah, he was, very, just... he, he was very litigation heavy. For, for what? If somebody like slandered him or if they like, or do you mean like if it in, if... encroached upon his like creations or works i think it was mostly like yeah okay. i think i think a lot of it was um for example if something seemed like it was like cribbing from his work he would he, God, would, sue, he would sue gotcha. for copyright right. um he would sue God, uh, i wonder what those partnerships were like when he did like the star trek thing because there had to be like yeah. deals written up that he had to feel comfortable enough yeah with no, the so, sign like so ready <laughs> so you speak of the star trek thing in 2009 so this was this was the new, the new millennium. The year Ellison, of the, the Star Trek, J.J. Uh, Abrams remake. That actually, that might have prompted it. So, oh, like just like I a sudden about rise in interest in the brand and yeah. the brand that had to have been it because in 2009, Harlan Ellison sued CBS Paramount Television, seeking 25 percent of the net receipts from all the income from the Star Trek episode he wrote in 1967. He wanted, he realized- even like, like well, he <laughs> break that down? Of how that much. is actually a brilliant point. There was probably a renewed interest in the series. And, yeah, because that was in, 09. In the response to the new movie, they probably realized like the back catalog is going to be in demand. And so Harlan Ellison was like, oh, dude, that is my work. Yeah. You need to you need to pay me for, for, this, uh, for this work I did. So they did settle. They settled out of court. So he got something. So yeah. <laughs> So, <laughs> God, who did he pass anything down to? I didn't. You think I would have learned? You know, I actually. I mean, I didn't. Even, listen, I will say this: there is nothing on his. Oh wait, well, he had spouses. <laughs> yeah, no, he was married. He had five of them, but it, no, no, no kids though. No kids. Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. I I read a lot about this guy. Nowhere did he ever talk about having children, but I knew he had a wife. I didn't know he had five wives. <laughs> oh, maybe he was. <laughs> Oh, that's just oh my god, <laughs> dude! It writes the material writes itself. Yeah, no, it's oh, telling. Uh, it is. Telling. <laughs> but he was very sharp, as you'll see. He was very, very sharp. His I'll last say. wife he was with up until his death. For yeah, while, yeah. So, uh, nevertheless, and I think Randy, you had talked about this. A lot of his work, his creative work, was in the sixties, and then in the seventies and eighties, he got into uh, critique. Part of it was television critique, um, and he was an ardent defender of television culture. Actually, at a time where television was still widely regarded as just like the downfall of civilization, yeah, and... as entertainment, as like you just watched it after work and you just you know you and then it's like he he frequently he treated it. Kudos, I guess, for standing up for that. Yeah, yeah the he was very of a lot of creative types. He was very ahead of his time with his treatment of television. Just new art forms. He wasn't like one of those authors that was just like, I no, just would reject I'm whatever. not going to, I only write novels, yeah, which books is- books are the purest form. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. Exactly. So, which actually kind of comes into play later with this whole idea of him making a computer game. Yeah. He, you know, he, I think he, he followed that example of just being like, well, I, if I defend television and this is a new form of entertainment, it's just like, rather than just dismissing it, I can make it better. Hey, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I, the sixties. A lot of his, a lot of his big uh, creative writing took place in the sixties. So, and that is where we get "I Have No Mouth" 
and I Must Scream. So sweet. This uh, this story uh, back in the day, you didn't really you, when you had stories, you didn't publish them straight out in books. You sent them into science fiction magazines, who collected them, published them, and then they would pay you. Uh, usually by by word count, and it's like you know you send it in, they would not too pay. far from like some websites or yeah no yeah it's you can actually still believe it or not since with the web models are you can when you write for blogs and independent blogs typically you do get paid by by the word you've done that before yeah I've edited so oh, I've edited? never submitted okay. I've always <laughs> been on the editing part of it which is a lot of fun cool. it's a lot of fun yeah, so yeah. um. And I will just say there. I mean, good on him for getting like a, that. It was the distribution got out there oh. far enough to be recognized. Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. And it was uh, man, what a time where it's just like, oh, I lied. I back in college, I submitted. I remember one article I had written. It was like a, I want. I I actually wrote it for for cracked. Believe it or not. Oh, you told me, and they thought it was like too. It like, was grim. No, it, it, which it was, was too grim. Yeah, and actually, so funny considering enough, considering some of the so actually matter like that they've. It's actually funny because that's what they said in the the forums where you submitted. Was it the tone or just the? Well, it was about Roman emperors, so there's a lot of violence in it. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. And they sure. said if you read our articles, they're very explicit with language, but they're not actually like extremely violent we kind of imply or like joke about it but we Um, don't actually talk about people describing the imagery or something like it just leaves it up to the yeah i mean it was yeah it's a lot of like it's a lot of it's a lot of history is pretty grim so it's like you know but anyway i guess i'm just surprised they they didn't think that there was a way to work that whatever yeah yeah but but regardless (laughs) i uh i i i published on a knockoff site that does what crack does and i don't know it's actually still up believe it or not hey yeah so anyway uh, well, hopefully the site that published uh, your your piece is doing better than Cracked is right now. So, <laughs> I mean, how, I guess so. I would have to look it back up again. That would be interesting. <laughs> I think I uh, actually so I looked it up and I found the article, but it, because the site went through a rebuild, uh, all of their old archived articles just got got reattached mm. as like just like the staff essentially like the site staff and i sent them an, an email saying like this is my article can you at least put my name on it i can't remember if i got a response though so whatever well, yeah. that's why you got to pull in uh an ellison and fucking send them like oh the dead fish or a, a, like a oh my god i'm channeling ellison's energy <laughs> yeah. right now yeah oh i mean i'll just i'll do it one up and i'll just send them like someone's foot you know just like <laughs> And then attach a note that says your site stinks. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. All right. So uh, I have no mouth. It was originally published in uh, the March 1967 issue of If, just capital I F, Worlds of Science Fiction, uh, and then later collected in a book of short stories, as a lot of authors did back then. You published mm-hmm. and then then collected it. Um, uh, it appears as the first story in that collection, and the the book bears the name. Of uh of the short story I have no mouth and I must scream it as we've got a very distinct cover on it. It does, yes. yeah. The, <laughs> the, the guys that Bioshock Infinite, take infinite from, yeah. from yeah. The yeah. Uh, Boys of Silence. Yeah. Boys of Silence, yeah. 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 It's got the guy with the weird head and the big yeah. big speaker coming out of the side of his head. It's it's striking. So, it's eye catching. Yeah. So uh, he wrote the entire story in a single night. He initially produced the first six pages and handed it to the editor, and the editor said he paid him in advance and said, Write the rest of it. He wrote it in a single night, 
and he submitted the first draft. He didn't even edit. Keep in mind that there was no... He wrote on a typewriter, so yeah. if you wanted to make a second draft, you needed to type out the entire thing again. Uh, I mean, I, I think didn't, he wrote the script for the game on a typewriter. That's yeah, how he passionate that he was is, about, like... Yeah, I mean, that is, like... <laughs> being his tool. I think it's just the fact that once you're set in your ways and you just know how to do something efficiently, you, you can do it just faster using the tools By you using know. the least efficient form of, <laughs> like... Of yeah, writing. I mean, damn... <laughs> I think George R. R. Martin still uses his old word processor on uh, what? Yeah, like, he uses uh, like Vim or maybe something. Maybe that's what's taking yeah. him so fucking long. He's a fucking idiot. <laughs> I think it's like what he has. A, he had a he has a Tandy. I think it is. Is his computer or something? Yeah, like that? something like that. <laughs> oh man, he doesn't use like a a bright blue like iMac. No, I guess it's not. Not yeah. as aesthetic. Yeah, dude. What is it with what is it with sci-fi and fantasy authors who just like. Like, you'd think that being sci-fi and fantasy authors, they would be all about, like, the latest technology, and they straight up, like, still use, like, the most out, like, the most, <laughs> the most outdated set of technology that you can still get away with using. Like, a Tandy <laughs> computer. Like, what is he, how does he send it, like, how does he get the, the files off the damn computer and send it to his editor anyway? Maybe that's why it takes so long. It takes, he can't, right. he needs <laughs> to figure out how to send it over to his I editor. somebody... I knew somebody in college who was an English major and they were a writer as a graduation gift for graduating from college. They got a typewriter because, you know, you're a writer, you romanticize typewriters yeah. and like banging the keys and they used it. Then you make a mistake and they like, used it once. And <laughs> yeah. then it was just like, oh, computers are better. <laughs> I will just say this. OK, if you ever want to cool, figure though. out if you know if you like a typewriter or would like to write on a typewriter, here's how you know. Open up Notepad on your computer, okay? Then, that's what I'm looking and at then, now. Then, click, click the screen. Unplug your mouse. Pry out the backspace key, okay? <laughs> and then set a strict word type, okay? You yeah. can't copy paste or anything. And then just write. And if you make a mistake, you can go back like one space and do like a like a quick. But you can't like move stuff around. If that Why fucking if you find that friend. tedious as shit. <laughs> Don't buy a typewriter, okay? I mean, like, the tactile feel of them is neat. It's just, like, when you get to the... the I can't even... Uh, like, just the delay between hitting it and, like... Because you, yeah. you also... There has to be a, a, a flow, or they can jam and stuff, too. Yeah. Like, it's... They do. I mean, that's all... The, a lot. That's the thing about mechanical... About mechanical uh, devices that's, like, yeah, it's not guaranteed to just work. Also, you need to buy ink for it. You get them ink ribbons. Well, Resident Evil told me that. Yeah. Right? So. <laughs> yes, and the arms wow. do jam quite a bit. Yeah. So, and that's also. What that's from. Typewriters are just—they're very loud. It is. I loud. think that's part of the. Yeah, that's the. the oh, like, okay. That's what people like. That's why mechanical the keyboards ding. are so popular. Okay. That's what the typewriter is essentially. Okay, I see. Writers need need the attention. They need they need to mm -hmm. let people know <laughs> they're writing the next great American novel right there. You know. <laughs> mm -hmm. So. Uh, so the name of the story comes from a caption, uh, of a cartoon done by his friend William Rossler depicting a ragdoll with no mouth. So can you imagine that showing up in a magazine? There's a pic there's a cartoon of a ragdoll with no mouth and it, this author friend writes, this caption should be, I have no mouth and I must scream. That's almost as, just as disturbing as the yeah. concept of the story <laughs> it's itself. It's like, damn, but like that is... To look at that through the lens of... Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, to look at it through the lens of yeah, like a sci-fi author and just think, like, it's like they could have said, like, put anything funny and he wrote that horrific 
disturbing title for it. Dope. It's like uh, the Hemingway story, right? Oh, uh, the six-word Hemingway story? Yeah. I was just thinking about that not too long yeah. ago. This, I was wondering if anybody else had heard about that. Oh, yeah. It's very ha- famous. Have you have you heard of, have you ever heard of the- The, the six-word Hemingway story? The no. six-word Hemingway story. Somebody came up to Hemingway in a bar and, uh, and bet him that he couldn't write like a moving, affecting story- in under a certain amount of words. Oh, is that where the baby? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's what that's from. That the is, yes. Never used. Yeah, baby, baby shoes, shoes never worn yeah. or whatever. For, yeah, for sale, for sale baby shoes never worn. Man, yeah. off the top of his head. Yeah, I mean it's, it's six words. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is, but I meant like it. it, no, hey, it yeah, stuck with it. It does. It's well, actually, you know what? That's a good point. It does stick with you, yeah. and that's a yeah. But. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. What? How did we talk? How did we start talking about this <laughs> no, anyway? No. I'm talking about typewriters. Yeah. Okay. Oh, <laughs> captions. Okay. Uh, so the story takes place 109 years after humanity has been wiped out by nuclear war at the hands of the Allied Master Computer, also known as AM or AM. That was my joke from earlier. That's what I was referencing. <laughs> oh, okay. So I I started I get it now. when I read this initially before uh, playing the game. I thought it was AM, but it. They're always referred to as AM. In, yeah. in I actually thought it was just AM. I didn't yeah. know. I didn't know. It was but, and I well, if I think the uh, also the abbreviation, the definition for the abbreviation changes throughout the story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that is more of a. But like, maybe that's just the sort of the protagonist. Yeah, like, that's a, yeah. It's meant to be like it's like a plot device like yeah. that. It's like yeah. So AM was built to handle the increasing complexities of global warfare. Keep in mind, late sixties, Cold War. You know that whole spiel yeah. going on. Uh, the Russian and Chinese master computers were also built naturally, uh, but AM became sentient as most sentient computers are wont to do. <laughs> Hated human beings. <laughs> okay. Uh, it hated it specifically for, you know, giving it intelligence and, and uh, self-awareness. Yes. But it had no agency. There was no, you know, it had no, it wasn't mobile. It couldn't, you know, dream or build or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, couldn't create. It, it absorbed the other two master computers and then annihilated humanity in, uh, in nuclear war with the exception of five people. And those five people are named Gorister. Benny, mm-hmm. Ellen, Nimdok, which is a you know uh, a name made up by uh, by Am, and right. Ted, who is the Ted. narrator. He's the youngest character. Yeah, as he's well. he's the audience surrogate. Yeah, right. he's the audience surrogate. Most of the story is told through it, it's kind of him narrating his thoughts about yeah. everything. So it kind of switches between. They all know, get more equal time in the game than in the the book. The book is equal, much his more perspective. Yeah. So, but I. Uh, Yes, we will we will be going over each of these characters in more detail. Yes. Uh with the game. So Am has become so powerful that he has the ability to manipulate all matter. And this is in the short story. Mm-hmm. So including the thought thoughts and memories of people, since you know these they're essentially yeah. just matter and themselves. Their physical appearance. Uh, yeah, their physical appearance, everything. Ray matter. Mm-hmm. Ray yeah. Um and he can also render the five survivors immortal. Because he can just essentially, if they get a wound, he can just completely just replace the damaged skin immediately. Yeah. He can, like you said, alter their appearance, their behavior, their brains. Like, mm-hmm. do really? He's he's essentially he's God. Essentially, mm-hmm. he, was, he was a metaphor for God. Um, and f- I'm a sadist. Well, oh yeah. Well, actually, the the not to uh, interject or, or to be pedantic about it, but it's like technically not a god because there's w- there's one other thing that god can do that he can't yes. and that's kind of what dro- drives them to that level of hatred that is uh <laughs> that is a good uh a good point is the fact that 
the character discovers that although he can extend their life, he cannot bring back the dead, yes. and that <laughs> plays into the plays into the story, the climax of the story. Mm-hmm. I won't ruin too much in case people do want to, you know, read it. It yeah. is a very short read, thirty to sixty minutes, depending on it's how. It's like what, like yeah. seven pages, uh, yeah. thirteen, I think, or something like that. Yeah, and oh, it's yeah. it's so. Like you, you like Google. I have no mouth, and I'm a scream. And the first page shows a free PDF, and you can yeah. just read through. You don't have to buy it, so it's easy, and it's a uh, it's good, and it's yeah. like it's a sure read. So it's yeah. it's worth reading, and so uh, it's provocative. It will, yes, yeah, it definitely was. It's like no other short story I've ever. Yeah, read. it's just like it follows no real narrative structure at all. Yeah, and even like ju- like there's there's not really an arc sometimes it's describing the greater things sometimes it's the more personal things and it just kind of it just goes where it wants and then it it starts really just in the middle of it does almost feel like it's in the middle it just starts in the middle and it's like it's not in media res where it goes back to explain things it just starts in the middle and just goes there's no there's no beginning it's the right amount of descriptive because it does leave a lot up to yourself but other stuff it wants to be more explicit about. yes that is yes so and that plays an important part because a lot of it is ted's thoughts and so it's like it's not it's not specific yeah. in its descriptions and like not a whole lot of backstory. It gives you no, just enough. If you want things more fleshed out, it's yeah. not that kind of So, and that, read, but... that plays an important part much later in the story, yeah. as, as we will see. <laughs> so, uh, and fi- so Ted, Ted ends the story with his closing thoughts. I have no mouth and I'm a scream. And that is, mm-hmm. you know, you know, all right. Drop mic, mm-hmm. you know, roll credits. It's a powerful you know. fucking ending because the the idea of a uh, of infinity is like terrifying to is, me. And that's that is, like, yes, I think that's, that's really. <laughs> it. And on top of that, oh, he explicitly says in the yeah, be- that whole concept. Yeah, he explicitly says at the end that uh, Am is now. He also uh, changes his perception of time at will to enhance his agony to to further Jesus increase. Christ. So you don't even know. It's like you don't even know. You're being tortured for all eternity, and you don't even know how long that. you've endured the torture. You know uh, what I mean? So it's because like, prior to that, they were really upfront about how much uh, time it was. It was yeah, like a yeah. hundred and nine years. Hundred nine years. Yeah. yeah so, um, and uh, essentially, so also I should mention too, as part of this, essentially the world has essentially just turned into like a computer planet, planet Earth. Yeah. It's just yeah. the Earth is just covered in his. Like he's kind of like turned into an installation of just just computer parts and caves and hallways and labyrinths. He's almost yeah, like you know, yeah. kind of looks like the the uh, the outside world in the Matrix. Yeah, yeah. that is actually a very good way. Yeah. That is almost yeah. oh man, that is like almost a pre- that is a very. I, I wonder. I I wonder we, if there is some. We yeah. watched the Animatrix. Yeah, last week. I bet there's some shared it, DNA there. Yeah. Oh my god! It, I didn't. It think... reminded me a lot of I Have No Mouth. That is because they're yeah. also inside of like the earth. The earth, uh, yeah. Like, yeah. That is well, these survivors are inside the earth, which has the earth has become am. It's yeah. like that's it. And so there is a surface, but it's a nuclear, yeah, it's a nuclear wasteland. Yeah. So oh my god. Oh my god, that is so holy crap. I just realized how how, how similar that, See, the that matrix plot is. differently. Yeah. The matrix, okay. Cool. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Because that was we were watching the Animatrix and they were talking about the part where the they took the humans as power sources and put plugged them in, yeah, and loaded them into the matrix. And Randy made a comment where he was like, "Man, that's nice of them to do." And I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah," as opposed to this, as opposed to this, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Sentinels yeah. are more merciful than than yep. I am. 
<laughs> All right. Now that you know the delightful <laughs> origin of this story and also about Harlow's personality, how how did this story It definitely recontextualizes a lot of this to me because oh, I didn't yeah. know a lot about much about him. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. I will say, well, you know, we'll we'll get to to that part. So, he was he was a curmudgeon, but like a curmudgeon uh, he was apparently a very gracious, nice fellow. He just, he didn't tolerate bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah, that right. was it. So he wasn't a mean person, but yeah. he was very much like he had no patience for, you know, well. Hey, I, I, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a lot of writers are like that, you know? Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> How does a story like that get picked up for a video game? It's just such a... That's the big question uh, <laughs> that I have. Like, It's and... <laughs> almost like there are like so many candidates out there keep in mind that it's like this is the 90s so this is before franchises just choked mm. any originality left out of uh, out of you know the video game industry oh, this like, would never get made today i feel like are you in oh. your mind like <laughs> and it's not necessarily true they made an animal farm game that is true actually, you yeah. played that yeah. i did play the animal farm game i got a very i, I stand corrected i got a streak for just very like bizarre mm -hmm. <laughs> like like the roads less traveled of, less of less games, travels, yeah yeah this game would not have been possible without a computer game publisher known as Cyber Dreams. So that what a name, as you I said. Know, yeah, I love it. it is. It is very. <laughs> it's got a flair to it. So, but uh, before I talk about them, uh, context of uh, science fiction and video games. So. Um, you know, there are a lot of firsts in video games, especially with the games that that you guys have covered here at this point. Yeah. Uh, this would not be the first science fiction adaptation, uh, or first video game adaptation of a sci-fi, even a novel. Okay, so back in the day, a lot of you know video game development community. What was Bionic Commando based on? Did I miss that. I'm just I'm fucking. Is that a, is that a sci-fi? Is that a sci-fi adaptation? Or no, no. no. <laughs> okay, I was like, yeah. But if it was, I'd read the hell out of it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there is even as far back as the mid '80s. Okay, so we're talking like this is the personal computer has just just been released. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, obviously, in the video game development community very strong overlap between science fiction and fantasy geeks and game developers. These what? were checks out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this was uh so obviously, you know, back in the day if you're a game developer, a lot of times it was just you and like two of your buddies in a garage and it's like, what are you gonna adapt? Oh, I really like that, you know, that Isaac Asimov novel. Let's just yeah. uh let's just uh, uh you know, just make that. So uh as an example yeah, rights though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's well that's We'll yeah. talk about going to those juicy details. Um, so I found this uh, this company, the Telerium Corporation. Okay, and they made okay, they made video game adaptation of some <laughs> some very strange choices of sci-fi novels. Really? So, 1984, Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451 got a video game. I <laughs> I shit you not. What do you do? I didn't look it up, but it's like, do you go into the house? Keep in mind, this yeah, we is like- need to see footage of that. I need to see it. It's well, like, this is, yeah, early graphic. This like, is early graphic. So do you just like, are you just like a firefighter and there's like a black screen and just piles of colored books and you just burn the books? That'd and you be get awesome. <laughs> I, I hope that's what it is. I did know that that, that one existed. Like, that is, that to me was mind blowing. That is just like, yeah. like any, any fucking science fiction story. 
Okay. And it's just like, yo, you know what I want to do? I want to burn some books. You know, I feel like, you know. It's a real time strategy game. Okay. Same company, Arthur C. Clarke's novel, Rendezvous with Rama. So I do know a little bit about this story. Uh, it is, I mean, it is actually about contact with extraterrestrials. Uh, I think they find it's about finding a ship out in space and they it's called the Rama and they have to go rendezvous with it and it's about, you know. Sounds, I read, sounds ha- like a I read half of it a very long time ago. I hear it's pretty good. Mm. Yeah. Well, I didn't finish it, but that's the ADD. There you go. Not the quality of the story. What are we talking about again? And then... <laughs> and the unreleased game Starman Jones based on the novel by Robert A. Heinlein, which... Man, oh, you came Heinlein, but... you came so close to making Starship Troopers. You had Heinlein on board, yeah. and you chose to make Starman Jones. <laughs> Starman Jones. I have never even I have never heard read. I had no idea he even it's wrote like a this Flash novel. Gordon knockoff or That's, something. Yeah, he has so many famous novels. Yeah, and short stories, and it's yeah. like well, don't worry because Starship Troopers would get I'm, its fucking oh, uh, it would get justice its, in a, like a few years. It would get its time <laughs> in the spotlight. <laughs> yeah, it's ten did, years later. Uh, the moon is a harsh mistress. Yes, it did. Which oh. is also seems like it would make a great video game. Yeah. What was the other one? Uh, Stranger in a Strange Land. Stranger in a Strange that Land. That is probably yeah. that is probably his most iconic mm-hmm. work. Maybe the thing is, uh, I think I think Hollywood and video games made Starship Troopers a very big one. Well, now oh like, yeah, there are plenty of Starship Trooper games after the after, yeah, yeah. yes so, after the movie. I mean, I think there were ones that based on it at the time. That yeah, was a shooter. Yeah. And stuff. So and then uh, and then there's also I know a couple more uh, I believe it's called Time Enough for Love. It's one of his lesser known ones, but it deals more with uh, uh, themes of love and romance, which is like such a strange concept to think mm. of, you know, Heinlein writing about. But I hear it was I hear it was good. Yeah, it sounds yeah. Yeah. So oh, interesting. Yeah. No, so many different novels you could have chose from, and these are the ones that I was like, yo, can't. Starman Jones. Starman Jones. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it was also watch not- it be like something super deep and cerebral, and we're just. Like this is true, yeah. You're just yeah. pointing at the name because it just, uh, comes off as so uh, silly. Uh, uh, yeah. Starman Jim. <laughs> uh, so it was also not unheard of for the authors of these works to help design the game personally. So this is not even like like I have no mouth is not even it's not like uh, groundbreaking the fact that the author helped because no, it's happened before. I, I had yeah. that in the intro because it was that was such a novel like a concept to me. Like, yeah. but oh yeah, you pointed out that it was like actually the. Yeah, it's not as not as unheard. Yeah. Of. I mean, I wouldn't say it was like commonplace, but no, but that there was uh, th- those paths were forged before, were forged when, before, yeah. and so <laughs> I don't know if this is the first example of this happening, but a very early example that I came across was Michael Crichton. Okay, Michael Crichton, <gasps> the writer of Twister. Yeah, was he the writer? Yeah, Twister? he wrote I the screenplay. It's, I think it's his only uh, like <laughs> his only filmography, like uh, credit on a movie where like it's it's not from a, a prior published like book or anything. Like I think he wrote the screenplay for Twister. The writer of Westworld. <laughs> he also he did write Westworld, yeah. right? But Westworld oh. it, it was something before it, just like Jurassic Park. There's, obviously. A, yeah. there's a little picture of Michael Crichton in one of our thumbnails. There is. I hit it. Go find it. <laughs> I don't remember. You don't remember that? I don't no. Know. I I barely know what the Michael two. Crichton looks like. I can think of I yeah, can it's yeah. impossible. <laughs> yeah. It's from the Westworld the uh, episode. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. the 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 Fallout Shelter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thing. He uh so 
1985, he helped adopt his novel Congo into the game Amazon. I've heard of neither the novel Congo nor the game Amazon, I will just say. Is it the Con- movie Congo? Yeah, I was going to say, dude, I novel? was about to say. This is, yes, this is true. And oh, in fact, okay. Okay, okay, you ready for this? The novel got turned into a movie, Congo, which got turned into a pinball machine, <laughs> making it, giving it the distinction of being the only pinball machine voiced by Tim Curry. That is, yeah. that is a distinction it carries. Huh. Which also, if I think about it, like Congo, Tim Curry, maybe Nigel Thornberry emerged out of someone like someone at Nintendo was was playing this pinball machine. Was like, you know, I really this Tim Curry guy. Really aren't there, aren't there like pinball machines based on like Rocky Horror or something? They couldn't get him. A, I mean, Tim Curry also uh, famously be, uh, in Command and Conquer. <laughs> I think it was Red we Alert. We should do an entire. Three. We should do an entire episode on just Tim Curry. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> that man. I thought you were gonna say FMV games or Command and Conquer, but. I oh my god that the would CNC be good, like they have so that would be a good seg into it it's like I'm already like this knee deep into like the weird 90s like multimedia yeah. stuff that it's like I should just keep going with it yeah command and conquer I mean it, I mean we're gonna play the Ripper yeah I love it's I like admire Tim Walken, Curry right? so much Tim Curry is like I I like his spirit you know it's oh, yeah. like he's just like he oh, he's the just man. he just like does everything he does well. <laughs> Uh, we we derailed this. <laughs> we'll, we'll turn we'll turn this into a war because me and Chris were on this side, and you and Matt will be on the other side. Command and Conquer's trash. What? Wait, Whoa. what do you mean, Chris? Star, is, Starcraft's better. Chris doesn't dislike Command and Conquer. Starcraft owes its existence. It does. Yeah. Of, uh, to to uh, to Command I, and Conquer. I played Command and Conquer for fifteen minutes. I know what I'm talking about. Fuck you. Respect <laughs> <laughs> uh, your elders. Starcraft uh, does not have Tim Curry in it. I'll give you that. How do you feel about Dune Two? It's true. Doom 2? Doom 2. Dune 2. Is it anything like the movie? <laughs> we can Did hope so. Did David Lynch make the game? <laughs> so, but perhaps a more famous example of a author directly adapting their own work to a video game is Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh-huh. Very right. Did vid- he actually work on that game? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he so. actually, he worked alongside the, or alongside the, the developers to, he, he, he designed and wrote the game. I think yeah. his voice might be in it as well. Yeah, I believe yeah. so. Well, so, so the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Mm. No. So not in Hitchhiker's Guide because that was 1984. There was no, he wasn't voiced, but Starship Titanic, oh. I believe. Oh, okay. I knew he did, like his voice was. So yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide was a text adventure only, but mm. Starship Titanic was uh, a full point and click adventure. I know he wrote that movie screenplay before you. Uh, he is yeah, not, he died. he's not the greatest voice actor in video game history. That award goes to our topic. That's for today. true. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Matt will get there later. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think I know. Okay, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, but Douglas Adams. So it's that, it's actually a fascinating story listening to him talk about game development. But because he was he did text adventure and then point and click adventure. Yeah, sorry, I keep forgetting we're in like Zork times still. Yeah. Like oh it, yeah. He yeah. said his favorite part about that was being able like he has all these items in this environment and trying to predict what the player might do and then Mm. coming up with a response for that so it's like they would sit and just think like what is the most outlandish thing that this player might potentially do and come up with like a funny way to say fuck you to the player that's pivotal i mean it's still like there's a key factor in the design of a lot of choice-based uh choice yeah like decisions in modern games that yeah come from this so so he had a great he had a great uh, time with that, and um, of course, the outstanding Rogue Warrior, <laughs> written by Richard. <laughs> Wrap your mouth around my balls, Marchinko. Oh. <laughs> Listen to uh, Hot Button. What was his name? 
<laughs> yes, please check. Demo the... dick. Demo dick. Demo dick. Yeah. yeah. My God. I <laughs> I regret not being there that night when you played that game. I. Know. I uh, uh, I couldn't breathe when you guys were yeah, playing those you, sound bites. You, uh, wonderful. Because you came home. I forget where you were, but me, Randy, up. and Chris were all on the couch dying. And you were like, what are you guys doing? And then we immediately put the song on for you. <laughs> the song is absolutely. I don't make them like that anymore. Priceless. Yeah. Oh, God. That one, the one part about, like, it's like. Just the very, very long insult and expl- expletive, and you're just like, there's something like I could, it, there's something wrong with that. <laughs> I do like that you brought up that and and didn't pull for like the like the Witcher Metro or something. But no, yeah, yeah. I, but we we appreciate that. Oh the, yeah, that, that plug in to, there. Yeah, absolutely. So, Randy, but we're talking about literature over here. Okay, no, I'm, not, uh, I'm sorry. I apologize. So, uh, furthermore, actually, and this is another thing, I can't speak for the later writers, but a lot of these earlier authors getting involved in this, uh, despite many of them having never owned or even used a computer before, they took the medium seriously as an art form, video games, I'm saying. Mm. So, Michael Crichton, and this is actually pretty mind-blowing, not only helped design and write the game, he also programmed part of it. What? He did direct programming on his own game, which is just like... Really? That is, that's badass as hell. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know you could program. But that's fucking wild. I uh that is like, wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is like the, good for him. Yeah. He actually he actually started a company in nineteen ninety nine called Timeline Computer Gaming. He wanted to make an, a video game adaptation of that, you know, his story Timeline became mm-hmm. a movie. Uh so the game flopped, the company folded, oh. and it was just yeah, done. It was so bad. much for my twister game, Mr. Crichton. God. Still waiting on it. I would almost say yeah, it's so like so much well, for a Jurassic Park game. Huh? <laughs> no, they're still doing those, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Michael Crichton's rolling around in his grave. <laughs> Are they still doing Jurassic Park games? Really? Yeah, yeah. There's one coming out in like a month. I th- I no, I think it is out. Right? Is it the, out? the park, the builder ones that oh, aren't as park. good as they I think should it be. Comes out later this month. Okay, the park builder ones. Yeah, you guys remember in October. the October. Dude, the one with the 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 on rail shooter in the Jeep. It was yeah, yeah that was the arcade yeah. one. That was probably the best. Like I think Jurassic Park game, and I think of that. No, I want. I think a Trespasser. It's the first oh. video game to ever to use ragdoll physics. That became like very it, famous later that's on. Such a Randy fact to know. I, no, but like the it was it was so bizarre. It like it was like seriously ahead of its time, but everyone hated it. It was like a first person survival shooter, but like you controlled all your limbs like it was oh quap yeah it kind of yeah it was, no no it's actually i know because and it's you look like, down at you the, the, your health was a, ta- a heart tattoo on your on your left boob oh yeah. i didn't know that part but no i yeah, know that yes. i've i know that game is infamous for being way ahead of its time yes. and the fact that it flopped i actually think so believe it or not it's i fascinating. read in an article that there's still a fan community that, are, that are modding yeah. it because it was like, yeah, it was capable of some pretty pretty incredible things for its time. But yeah, yeah. so uh, likewise, Douglas Adams, uh, he actually famously became a dedicated Macintosh fan because he helped develop the game. Uh, and uh, he became an advocate for new media during the 90s, which grew out of the very ill-conceived... 90s movement for multimedia this whole idea of <laughs> artists adapting their work to the computer that which... was the future how dare you <laughs> oh. 
God, that must have yeah. Well, if that was the future, it must have been an alternate timeline because that future is that future is done. <laughs> is gone. You did you watch the never gonna get the, a night the, trap the, sequel? The the was it the ninety six cyber? Was it cyber the the game awards thing that we found? Yeah, we had cyber no, cybermania. Cybermania. Well, I didn't watch it. No, yeah. it is a fever dream. <laughs> to describe it as surreal is like an understatement of like, but it was like. It was supposed to be about the reason they put it on is because they wanted to push this wait, whole multimedia thing. No, cyber. Did it, wait, cybermania. Or? Cyber. No, yeah, sorry, cybermania. I got, I get that flipped with cyber dreams in my. Head. Yeah, yeah. So you get, yeah. If you ever want, if you ever want a very surreal peek into like just the whimpering high watermark of how the multimedia trend went, look up the cybermania video game awards on YouTube. It's truly just something else. But <laughs> speaking of words that begin with cyber, let's talk about cyber dreams. Actually. What so, a second. Talking about cybering? <laughs> what? A- no. ASL? Get you, get, you guys, get you guys' minds out of the gutter. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, get your mind right. out of the gutter. It's time to talk about I have no mind yeah. on my screen. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, anyway, the first chapter is about the Holocaust. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cyber Dreams. So, uh, I want to hear about this H.R. Geiger game. That's what I'm... F- absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Incredible. I got to talk about <laughs> Not this. to jump the gun, but that yeah. kind of blew me away. So uh, it was a computer game company. Cyberdreams was a computer game company founded in 1990 by this by this guy named Patrick Ketchum. Yes, literally like Ash Ketchum uh, from Pokemon. Is that where Ash Ketchum's dad went? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he went to go found a video he made, game. He founded Cyberdream? That's yeah, wild. Yeah. I'm going to do this. You go off into the real world with dangerous animals because you're like 10 and a half. Yeah. Like, yeah. Shit. yeah it's time to earn your keep, dude. Okay. Listen, dad's got the games to make. Go, yeah. go away. Uh, so he was a veteran it's of the world games. world of cockfighting. Like. World, yeah. It's literally just animal <laughs> fighting. Yeah. So he uh, he was a veteran of the games industry. He had already actually published many games at that point. For I think he has been in the industry for a decade. Pole Position was one of them, with the, pretty much the one I knew. But he, oh, had, yeah. he had, you I know, know Pole Position. So uh, I guess he decided to go on his own. He started the company. Uh, it started with three employees. Okay, this is just like so it was small. Programmer Mike Krause, who was his friend before then, who helped him make games. Graphic artist Joby Otero, who will come up, you know, again. Great name. Joby, yeah, I like it. Uh, and then game designer, writer, and producer, Mike Dawson. He will come up because he does a lot of, you'll see, he did a lot of post-mortem interviews, so okay. he will come up a bit. So remember that. So the company did have its own in-house town. Like, it's like, why hire a programmer if you're not going to program the games yourself? Mm-hmm. But uh, because it was had such a small staff at the very start, the company produced its games by contracting out most of the development work out to other studios while their core staff retained a creative control of the games, okay? This will become an important part of the story later when we go to talk about what became of Cyber Dreams, okay? So it's like they had this very small staff working on these very ambitious games, so it's like the development work was contracted out, they worked on the core stuff. So um, in order to differentiate themselves from other game companies, their stated design philosophy was to produce high-quality science fiction, fantasy, and horror games for an adult audience. They wanted to, like, it was go big or go home. We're going to yeah. make these really important games. And they they did marvelously. No, they, they, knew, who they, they knew who they wanted to reach. Yeah. And, no, and they it's like they, they coming out the gate, they actually succeeded very, very well in their, I would say, their first three games. But their first game, 1992, so this was two years after, their, after they initially launched, Darkseed, a 
Psychological. That's the one. Yeah, a psychological horror point-and-click game based on the artwork of none other than H.R. motherfucking Geiger. Just Google this box art. You got it. Yeah. Rips. Oh. <laughs> like, have you have you seen the box? Yeah. You and it's like you sent me a picture. So not did did that also um, get like eventually uploaded to GOG or something? I, that's how we played. I have no math. So there's not a lot of way. Like, does somebody want to? Does somebody want to actually? Yeah, yeah, grab their know. phone and check actually, because that. <laughs> by the way, if you don't know who H.R. Geiger is, he is the guy who did the visuals of the Alien, Alien franchise. And if you look at his artwork, just Google H.R. Geiger art, and you're like, "Oh, that's yes, Alien." It, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's unmistakable. Yeah, yeah a lot of it's, dick looking stuff. Oh yeah, yeah no, he oh, worked yeah. that that sexual kind of like. I mean, there's the there's a, a horror video game coming out. Uh, it's supposed to be out before the end of this year, but probably not called Scorn. That they is showed that, at Microsoft thing. It's 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 based. It's not. He's you know inspired. Inspired. Inspired by. by yeah. it. Not directly but, involved, but, <laughs> but yeah. But there is there's something to that. Like uh uh, you're, he is. It, it's very defined. You you know when it's his. And so the, uh, the alien uh, as a movie monster is probably one of the most like one, yeah iconic. Icon- it's yeah. Like, and so that that art style, that iconic art style, is known as biomechanical. Actually, it's the fusion of, oh, of human beings with machine, and so there's something. I mean, have you seen that creature? That, that yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, no, <laughs> so, yeah. and it's uh, and especially with this art, there's a lot of um, design. I mean, it is. I think it is art because it's like it's funny because it's like if you just take a human being and add like the machine, it does add like a coldness and a very a kind of a horror to it yeah. because I think it's like you don't realize in your mind that it's just like this whole idea of like you know humans fusing with machines there's something almost like unnatural feeling about it and very, that's that makes body it, heart like very it's uh, body heart yeah. it's, it's pure body and also his his painting the environmental stuff like it's all very drippy kind of gothic like yep. it's like it, yeah a lot of um, a lot of tubes good. feeding into human beings which very much yes. it's you know just a very Ugh. body heart type of thing <laughs> also just a lot of skulls in his art just like like just yeah. body parts and and skeletons and just yeah it's, it's organs and yeah it was it was dark stuff um, for sure. To answer your question from earlier, H.R. Geiger's Dark Seed is officially considered abandonware. It's oh, still shit. So someone petitioned. Maybe they'll find it like that Blade Runner game. You know what? I won't. I'm not gonna say. I'm not gonna say who to petition because that's uh, that's uh, a that fact a part for, of this fact for later. Right. So it was ported to the. PlayStation, yeah, in Japan uh, only. No, oh no, shit! Because uh, mm-hmm. they they were they try they were going to port. I have no mouth to the PlayStation, mm-hmm. and I think that got uh like dropped halfway through. It did. Yes, yeah. you're right. You're 100 percent right. Shit, Man. so Dark Seed made it to the PlayStation. Only I want to find a Japan. Co- That's like how Phantasmagoria is on the Saturn in Japan. Like mm-hmm. I, what? It, like I don't know. Why does Why does Japan get HR? I don't. They didn't have a rating system back then. Maybe it oh, was that, uh, that had to <laughs> it's yeah. easier to distribute. Yeah, it was probably easier. Also, to distribute. <laughs> For those of you looking, you can find a used copy. $10,000. For the PC on Amazon <laughs> for $10.61. Oh, that's not that, terrible That's at all. yeah. Uh, oh, but you know what? It probably doesn't come with the box itself, which is like, yeah. you know. Part of why you want it. Yeah, it was. So the box, so this game started a trend with, this game started a trend with, uh, with Cyber Dreams where it's like, they made their box art very special. Like they wanted, they, to yeah, they wanted over. it to stick out yeah. on like a store shelf. And so, uh, if you take a look at the box art, so the box art itself is not just done by HR for Geiger for the game. It's one of his famous paintings. It's called Lee Two, and it's a picture. Oh. Well, I shouldn't say it's an exact portrait, but it's a depiction of his wife or his, his you know, 
His wife, Lee Tobler, was her name. Okay. Uh, it is a, a depiction of her kind of, I guess you would call, like, in that the alien style. There's a bunch of feeding tubes coming out of her <laughs> mouth and, like, there's a bunch of skulls. Um, she actually, she, so that painting I love was, that she posed for that. It's awesome. It's quite incredible, <laughs> isn't it? Which is just, it's so funny because it's like, uh, well, first of all, I think from what I read, H.R. Geiger was actually a very loving, doting husband. He was Aww. very, and she, yet she died a year after the, the painting. I know, painted. my mom was a big fan of his work. It's Yes, so... Uh, so that was a famous painting. So, uh, according to Mike Dawson, the game producer I mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, attracting Geiger. Keep in mind, they had never published anything at this point. They were just some bunch of random dorks who wanted to just say, like, "Yo, let us make yeah. a game out of your stuff." Attracting Geiger and took lengthy negotiations, two trips to Switzerland, <laughs> dozens of faxes and phone calls, and in quotes, lots of cash. So apparently, <laughs> they needed to pay quite a bit of big deal of money to get to get this but i wonder I, how much lots of cash was back in uh, that is actually a genuinely good question <laughs> i mean he swiss he's swiss yes okay. yeah, yeah he is i didn't know that so uh additionally another stipulation geiger agreed to lend his artwork to the game on the stipulation that it be made in 640 by 350 graphics which was actually like high oh resolution. that's pushing it I, that I is actually pushing it back then hmm. making it one of the first if not the first point-and-click games to use high-resolution graphics. That's actually, like, it was Holy actually... Fuck. Yeah, no, this actually, this was a, a pretty, like, ground-breaking sort of thing. Um, As opposed to, like, pixel art, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. So, I mean, I the the resolution lower was, I believe his full quote was, it was too blocky. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they pushed it up, and it was... And actually, if you look at screenshots of the game, it, it is a very, very nice-looking game. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so in return... It's a shame it can't get, like, a... Remastered. <laughs> I agree. So, yeah. funnily enough, it's like I started this on I Have No Mouth, but Dark Seed, I've been reading through this. I'm just like, this game sounds like it deserves way more attention than the next than Halloween. Well, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tune in next year. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but in return for all this, all of his agreement and the, the loads of cash, the development team was given full access to his artwork. Like, he just sent them his Fuck art, yeah. like these like valuable pieces of art. Like a, a rad dude. Uh huh. And they digitally scanned them in using an Epson flatbed printer. That's what they <laughs> did. And then once it was scanned in, they would, you know, import yeah, it into yeah. our programs. And that's actually so several of the scenes in the point and click adventure are just his paintings in digitized. Man, that is punk rock. That is. <laughs> so imagine being also, there are a lot of pictures if you look up. Uh, Dark Seed game development. There are a lot of pictures of these guys, dudes just posing at his house, like in his studio. <laughs> they went over there. So it's like, it sounds like it took a lot of work to get on board. But after they did, it's like, imagine the stories that came out of that. They no, just went to his name. studio. The the game, Dark Seed, it was well received. It wasn't obviously, you know, it wasn't like a, a, a runaway smash. It but... wasn't a runaway smash, but it, you know, it got them, to, got them the funding for their second game. Uh, it was praised, unsurprisingly, for its spooky atmosphere. It's graphics and it's music, uh, and these were yeah. superb enough that the it was enough for the reviewers to overlook uh, what well, not the poor gameplay, but the gameplay was rather unforgiving. So it's the mm. the the concept of the game is this guy moves into a mansion and then he starts having nightmares, very vivid nightmares of essentially a dark version, a dark world of his mansion, and that's H.R. Geiger does, he's the one that contributed the dark world artwork. So imagine just being in this nightmare world and it's literally H.R. Geiger's <laughs> artwork, which is like, sounds like yeah. a great, like, because you look at it and you're just like, this seems like it would be hell to exist in as these worlds, and that's I, what the game I wonder if the difficulty, was. like, if that, 
uh, served as a role in in like changes moving forward for I Have No Mouth because that game is remarkably accessible. Yeah. Like yeah. when at least like in comparison to the its contemporaries of old uh, yeah. trial and error point and clicks. Like so, no, that's you are. We might not have gotten the best ending, but we got a ending. I have to imagine that a lot of that was probably like. The art for I Have No Mouth was done in-house, whereas like they're trying to make these puzzles fit around H.R. Geiger's art. Uh, so like it, level design I is see. harder when you don't design the levels. That's fair. <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's my only guess. <laughs> you guys are all, you both are bringing up all, <laughs> but no, very, very uh, good points because it will play, it will play a role uh, in, in, the development of their second and third game, actually. So what, actually, believe it or not, and this is this is actually very fascinating, so the game takes place over a series of three days, okay, and then there's a daytime part where you have to solve puzzles in the mansion, and then you go to bed at night and you travel to the dark world. So it uses a light world, dark world mechanic, and that's another, mm. that's the second half of Fatal each frame. day, and it, it takes place over three days. The thing is, and this is, this is, very ambitious, okay? <laughs> Each section is strictly time-limited to one hour. So it's like if you miss a puzzle in like the first it's a day- time loop game? It's, it's, a, it's a time-restricted game. No, <laughs> it's like, it was like, you remember that game D Into Darkness where I was like, this is the game that's famous for like, if you don't beat it in like three hours, you yeah. just, yeah, it yeah. just softlocks you. Mm -hmm. This game, and it wouldn't tell you, but if you missed a puzzle in a certain section, you were just oh, softlocked from beating the game. Which is obviously Ugh. very frustrating, yeah. uh, ambitious for sure, very risky. But uh, <laughs> that was the whole thing. Also, if you each section of day was exactly one hour, it's real time. It was a real time game, actually. So it's like one hour would be one one uh, part of the day. And if you fell asleep, if you if it just if it just rolled over to one hour, it would be ten o'clock in the game, and you just fell asleep immediately and was transported to the dark world. If you fell asleep in the dark world without getting back to your bed, insta die. It was just game over. So it's like you need there's this big time Jeez. management stuff going on. Sorry, I have to address something. Yeah. He said light world, dark world, and you said fatal frame. Yeah. Not the Legend of Zelda. Oh, not a Majora's Mask. Oh, Link to the Past. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> Actually, yeah, Link to the, Link to the well, I will. I what was. A, what a randyism that is. I was thinking of. Well, I guess it's Fatal Frame Three that has the like the you know the, mm -hmm. the where you're the in night. the daytime in the apartment and then mm -hmm. you transported to like ancient Japan and yeah yeah. No, I got what you meant. <laughs> I got what you meant. I'm just pointing out how. Sorry, you meant how Silent Hill for the room. That's what... how interesting your brain is. That's all <laughs> that is, I. You know what? You're right. My mind would have gone to the yeah, Link to the Past. Which, by the way, so this is 1992. Link to the what? Never heard of it. <laughs> Link to the Past was what 93. Uh, Link to the Past was 90. Yeah, 93, 94. Uh, yeah, it was a later SNES. Oh, a very late SNES game. Yeah. Oh, holy shit! Yeah, they Nintendo Wait. stole from Antar Geiger. Not only that, <laughs> not only that, but Dark Seed got the PlayStation release only in Japan. They stole the fucking idea from fucking. No, wow. Link, Link, Link to the Past is actually a little earlier than than we thought. Night what ninety one ninety two uh, ninety one in Japan ninety two in North America. That's why. Okay, which yeah. I I mean I didn't. They reissued that game a few times, which is probably that why, is why I, I didn't play thinking, it. I thought until. it was ninety three for sure. That's why there's all those dicks in Link to the Past. 
<laughs> what? Is this because of HR Geiger? Oh, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's oh, that's why you're constantly. Yeah, did he also draw the VHS box art for the Little Mermaid? Yes. <laughs> no, that was Harlan Ellison. That was his first day. That's all he did. <laughs> that's all he did at Disney. <laughs> and, and then, then stick he stick a donger in here and then yeah, call dude. it quits. Oh God! You I'll know, show you, that Roy Disney who's boss. <laughs> you know that is something that Harlan would do as revenge. Be like, "I'll oh, fire yeah. me. I'll yeah. show you." <laughs> oh, it was totally. That's like has his like his. That is just purely that has his name all over right there. So, uh, a rather amusing legend developed afterward. Of Zelda? Uh, no, of of uh, of uh, Dark Seed. <laughs> uh, it was a rumor floating around the internet, or I guess I don't know, Usenet, whatever people did back then or used back then uh that the pressure of making dark seed drove its producer mike dawson into a mental breakdown because he left gaming after this was produced uh in reality he left to go uh he went he went to television writing he left the he left probably less stressful i mean yeah and i mean let's like let's face it it's like he probably dodged a bullet harlan would have approved he went to television writing you know Apparently wrote, I don't know why I noted this down, he wrote episodes of Family Matters. I, <laughs> I don't know why I included yeah, that. Maybe he did break, maybe he did have a breakdown. <laughs> you yeah. can't prove it. So, no, so. Uh, like, if, if it's just like, well, I mean, game development obviously sucks yeah. in a lot of, in a I, myriad I just, of ways. But if he was just a, like, what a unusual pivot. That, yeah, no, I, so it's like, you're right, he probably dodged a bullet because it was just like. Like yeah, game game production. It's like if you fa- if, this if is people- thankless. I'm gonna write family matters. Yeah, if it was stressful back in the early '90s, it's just like imagine how much worse it got after that. It's like, dude, just oh, yeah. go make that television. Game development money. now mm. is way worse than it was then. Yeah. Also, oh, yeah. Steve Urkel heavily inspired by the works of H.R. Tiger. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of people know that. Got any cheese? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Did I do that? <laughs> Imagine that coming out of the alien, <laughs> out of the xenomorph. Yeah, <laughs> I literally just imagine like Steve Urkel like wandering around like this alien hell. Somebody has modded Alien Isolation with Urkel. With I'm Steve sure. Urkel, just yeah, yeah. I just, haven't. Just put his voice lines in there. <laughs> uh, so so obviously Mike Dawson didn't go into a mental breakdown. In fact, they tracked him down many years later and uh, uh, Game of Sutra, Gama Sutra. Game of oh, Sutra. M- Matt, this is <laughs> this has happened on our show. It's like, like the Jeff Gift thing, they created it, but I'm calling a Gama Sutra. I don't give a. I'm fuck. calling a Gamer Sutra. You're an idiot. So decide who you like more. I guess. Uh, <laughs> I choose neither. Right. I shall eat the pie myself. <laughs> uh, Gamma Sutra. Yeah. Call it that. Yeah. The third option. <laughs> he. That's Just what I say. Gamma Michael. Sutra. I thought. I say Gamma. I'm ending this game. discussion now. Right now, uh, <laughs> this isn't the end. It, 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 like it'll come back. So it they, always they, does. They, they tracked him down. They did an interview with him, uh, and so they said, "It's like, what do you think these rumors that it's like that this the production of this game drove you to a mental breakdown because he just disappeared?" And he said, "Believe it or not, he said I actually I have no idea where it came from. In fact, I'd never heard of that urban legend until just now. But frankly, I like it, and so do my six other personalities." <laughs> 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 Which is just like oh, what I a mean, boss. Yeah, he seemed like a very he seemed like a really uh fun guy. Mike Dawson's a great source of info because you know he was he worked on this a lot of this early stuff. So, but anyway, so the next year it saw the release of uh Cyber Race in 1993. Uh, it was a, like Death Race 2000. Yeah, wait till I, yeah wait till oh, I hear about it. Fuck yeah! This is, so again. It, <laughs> It is a neo futurist racing your brain, game. Your brain is an enigma. <laughs> yeah. 
Not it Death is... Race. Specifically Death Race 2000. Well, that's the one. It even has the same know. number of it has the same number of characters, Death and Cyber Race, you know. Sure. Yeah. I didn't know he was going to get all Fury Road on it tonight. I'm it's like yeah. So, uh Cyber Race, it was a neo-futurist racing game with flying cars designed by Sid Mead, the concept artist and industrial designer behind God damned Blade Runner. They got the cool. guy who designed, like, sort of the cars in the buildings, yeah. like the, the industrial. Wait, they got the guy who designed did, that. We're like, yo, you want to make a racing this game? This is going to sound like a bit, but it, it's yeah. genuinely not. Yeah. The One of the, the leads of the production design of Blade Runner also worked on the Super Mario Brothers movie, which was in our previous topic. And I'm curious if that I think was it's him. the same guy. Yeah. Oh, I actually think it was the same on, guy. What's his name? <laughs> uh, Sid Mead. Sid spelled with a Y and then okay. Mead, M-E-A-D. I'm, yeah. I'm almost positive it must be. That yeah. would be... Because well the thing is you said he designed the cars for Super Mario Brothers. This is the guy who designed the cars for, yeah, it was like, for Blade Runner. Uh, like a lot of the environments and yeah and stuff. Art so. department. <laughs> yeah, you can probably just look up uh, the Wikipedia. I need to I need to know this before like I, I yeah. <laughs> I refuse so. to go on until yeah. So but besides uh, no, I don't think so. Damn oh, it wasn't him, huh? I don't yeah. see it on here. All right, wait, hold on. Art yeah. department. Well, there were there were a few production people. designer. No. Visual effects. I think Johnny it been Mnemonic. The, I th- he he did work on Johnny Mnemonic. Yes. Wow. Uh. Yeah. So mm. here's some other uh, as some other movies that he did that he worked on as well. Uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, okay. Tron, Aliens. Cool. Yeah, so he also he did work with H.R. Geiger probably on that. There you go. Time Cop, <laughs> Johnny Mnemonic, Elysium. Wow, wait the the um yeah the Matt uh, Damon no then yeah the Neil Blomkamp yeah uh, after yeah Tomorrowland and right before he died <laughs> George he, Clooney he died in 2019 actually so wow. uh he he worked on Blade Runner 2049 he got to work Sick. on that before he he best one way. of the best sequels ever made yeah and yeah. so uh the synopsis from a website I found and this is just great uh in a future where the galaxy has been nearly destroyed all disputes are settled in the cyber race. And I figured I was like, that's that's yeah. just like it's like okay, yeah. The Why guy, not? Yeah. The guy you're thinking of is Dave L. Snyder. Shoot. Okay. Dennis Snyder, the voice of Shake. Dude, there's too many Snyders in this Who world. Was I can't, I can't. Production designer on both Blade Runner okay. and Super Mario Brothers. All right, that's where wires got crossed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. One of those is a better movie, and the other one's Blade Runner. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't disagree. <laughs> Uh, the game box actually again with this going on with their streak of like like you know really lovingly crafted game boxes um, it came with a plastic model of the ships that he designed which are called sleds they're really cool to look at if you want to feel free to look it up there are Good these man. these plastic uh, these and they came in the box and they're pretty sleek actually they look really cool the way uh. he designed them it's like it you look at nice. it and it's like this is this is a really uh, cool concept so he did his job he did a very good job there um there was, however, a lot of hype over Sid Mead not only designing the visuals, but helping write the story. And mm. this did not live up to expectations. This oh. apparently, apparently did not. Yeah, Bummer. It was, yeah. And so to highlight this, uh, Computer Gaming World ultimately described it as a fun, visually stunning r- race simulator with a rather weakly constructed and executed narrative framework. So it's like, it makes sense. It's like, dude, the guy is a designer. He's not a, he's not a, he's not a writer. So it's like, you know, uh, the, it's like it was designed well, but apparently, I mean, uh, like most of the reviews I read just basically said like the story, 
How do, you, how do you think it compares to the lore of Twisted Metal or Interstate 76 and Vigilante I mean, 8? It's a racing <laughs> game. Does it need an, an engaging story? Yeah. I think that was the problem. It's yeah. just like, I think the problem was that it was Sid Mead behind it, and so people were like, you people yeah. got hyped up. Well, you associate the Same with, I guess, Cyber Dream's uh, reputation. At with this reputation. Point, so. So. Um, so you can kind of sense a pattern here. It's like, you know, you have these two games. Dark Seed is helmed by H.R. Geiger, and it, it excels with its disturbing yeah. dark visuals. And then you have Cyber Race helmed by an industrial designer and it excels visually in its design, but you know, it's got, you know, this plot kind of falls short. So it's like, it's almost like, well, if you hire a specialist to do this job, the game's going to excel at whatever that person specializes in, you know, it's like, so, uh, for their third game, Cyber Dreams was looking to sink their teeth into adopting one of the works of the famous Harlan Ellison. Interesting, mm. again, interesting choice of, of game to adopt. So, back in the 90s, Harlan Ellison was a well-respected author whose stories were popular amongst game developers. So he was, he was well-known, he's a sci-fi author, you know, yeah. very popular amongst game devs. The problem with adapting his works was twofold, however. First, the bleak content of his books made for difficult subject matter. Yeah. And two, he was notoriously irascible about people fucking with his writing. <laughs> like he was famous. Yeah. He once famously like had this feud with Gene Roddenberry for airing his script. <laughs> and that script won awards. Like, what is gonna happen? Like, video game adaptation is <laughs> such a difficult, yeah. risky I mean, process. they're completely different formats they of are storytelling. they like, truly yeah. are so it's just like someone says it's just like well we got to adapt this this story into a video game it's kind of tough like how is this author to work with oh he's a cunt he sucks <laughs> yeah as, oh okay okay yeah well at least is a story like like rich in material for video games no it's horrifying it's disturbing yeah. you know it's, it's nightmare inducing oh. probably it probably will lose a lot of sales just based on that alone like who who thinks that but sorry I it's 13 inter- pages the- yeah i gotta interrupt so I found in a whole art exhibit this Sid Mead dude did where he just designed cars and it fucking rules. Does it look like Mad Max shit? Uh, yeah. Hold on. There's like a fucking future El Camino. Oh, oh hell yeah! Yeah, show us. I'm look. I I gotta see this, dude. This guy was he was very talented. Awesome. It is really that is really <laughs> cool. Also, apparently, uh, the. <clears throat> The Cybertruck design was stolen from his artwork. Yeah, fun fact. that actually makes total sense. Wouldn't be the yeah. first thing that motherfucker stole. Also, so. he died in December of 2019. So yeah, RIP. yeah, I think Matt Yo, mentioned that. I, when I did research for this, for this, I looked up because I wanted to know. It's like, are these people still alive? And it's like, ready, Arlen Ellison, 2018. Uh, 2018. Okay, uh, Sid Mead, 2019. Uh, H.R. Geiger, uh, 20. Actually, want to say I actually note it down. I'm positive, 2014. So it's like it's kind of like weird. It's just like we miss these people's deaths uh, by only a couple years. Hey, their yeah. legacies live on. Yeah. No. No. Oh, yeah, dude. Make me a fucking future El Camino. <laughs> yeah. Of course, the word future El Camino is an oxymoron. So. Just saying. <laughs> but I like yeah. all the problems that this is already setting up. Like yeah. there are just so many hurdles of. Uh... Yeah. And then. Uh, yeah, and you, yeah, what was the, you mentioned one other thing right after I said the, the first two problems, uh, Oh, just the length. Oh, and, and yeah. that was again, another, it's just like, well, this must be, 
this must be a story that's really rich in like characterization and lore. It's just like, nah, one of the guys you basically get one sentence about. (laughs) So as you mentioned, Randy, uh, yes, you can already see that it's like, it's not, uh, it's not a, a, a game. Uh, it's not a short story that's just like this is primed and ready for video game adaptation. There's already, yeah. it's already a difficult process adopting stories into games, and this story especially has a lot of challenges associated with it. Um, so knowing that Harlan Ellison, they really wanted to get their hands on this story, uh, but knowing the difficulty that lay before them, uh, they sought out another writer who could work alongside the prickly Harlan on translating the story into an interactive story. The man they chose for the job, as I mentioned before, the very start, was David Sears. Okay. Uh, was, it, was it planned from the get-go that this would be a, like, kind of a choose-your-own, like, or just like a... I mean, I have to imagine that they... Because that's what uh, Darkseed is. So... Yeah. I think they went into it knowing, it but was that going- like that Ellison was like cool with that. That he was, I mean, he yeah. was going to be a part of it. But but even so, it's like this is there's the script for this game had to be infinitely longer than that story. Like Ooh, it, it's yeah. if anything, it's it's really a uh, like much more of an expansion on oh, those. Yeah. So I think on those ideas. I think basically from my understanding is they went into this knowing that it would be a point and click adventure because obviously Darkseed. Uh, it worked out well for them. Beyond that, and as I'll talk about later on, the idea for the E5 vignettes, the treatment, fleshing out the characters, that was all Ellison. Really? He, no, yeah, he fleshed it out and he worked on these themes and he treated it, he took it seriously. That's so rad, yeah. It's, like... uh, it's actually, yes, there's a lot of impressive stories that okay. come out from working with him that I'm I'm looking forward to talking about because he, he's, it's really uh, incredible. So... Yeah, if it was like his decision to to flesh out each. Uh, oh like, yeah, oh yeah. No, everyone individually in there. Yeah, it's it's very cool. Very rarely do you get to pull back the curtain and see the creative process yeah. of like the writer coming up with the design and content of the game, and that's exactly what we can. It get It goes into. out yeah. uh, without saying. This is kind of like five games in one in an epilogue. The way that it's split up. It's, yeah. It's, Maybe around five six hours. Yeah, you know? and it's a it's a like many ideas. It starts out very high concept, and then as you yeah. go on, you start to flesh everything out into concrete, uh, yeah. concrete ideas. So, um, yeah. David, uh, David Sears, had previously worked for Compute Magazine. He was a journalist before this. Okay, okay. Uh, and he caught the company's attention with a feature he had written on their first game, Darkseed. So this caught, and so he wrote this uh, this nice feature. Um, since he played a lot of the game for that, he actually wound up getting a job. Uh, they they reached out to him. He wrote the strategy guide for the game, like the <laughs> the solution book, essentially. Obviously, he was That's very funny. Yeah, and it's like obviously he was a very talented writer. So he was, you know, he was good at, uh, you know, writing a narrative and and sure. Uh, They're very impressed and sensing that. It's like, hey, you really seem to enjoy and appreciate these mature games with dark themes. You want to just join our company and you can help write the next one yourself. And of course, he was like, absolutely, I'll do that. <laughs> so he goes into a game journalism, gets a game journalism job, which like, like, I bet he probably didn't expect he was going to gonna make it to the games industry no, I'm, right, I'm, for that stuff. I bet but, not. So he said, yeah, absolutely, I'll do it. And of course, as we know... Except only to find out that his very first assignment, not just his very first assignment company, but the very first video game he ever produces, no experience, 
They ask him to go spend a week at Ellison's home <laughs> and help the author translate his famous story oh. into a game proposal. Where, where's the like mank out of this? Yeah, <laughs> right? <You know? laughs> it, and because of that, because he spent the, That's this fucking great, it's, it's just wild. And this is really where, uh, you just get some phenomenal stories out of this design process that really, yeah, can I'm only sure. Come, and I'm so thankful that, uh, David Sears and later on another fellow who took over production is like, they have spoke all these, so candidly about it. Like, yeah, yeah. And they have such amazing, uh, stories about what it was like to work with Harlan Ellison. Some of them, uh, uh, That's cool. uh it's very entertaining. Uh, but we shall, uh, we shall leave. Continue this next time. Continue it next time. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta stop right there because we got a lot more stuff to go All through. Right. We're gonna, we will. <laughs> next episode, we will be talking about obviously the development of this game, which is just there's some wild stories. I, I'm looking yeah. forward to telling you. I'm, no, I'm excited. And then we're gonna talk about we played the game. We're gonna talk about. I'm very interested in that. In, we did, and just Absolutely. talking about our opinions and just really breaking mm-hmm. down a lot of the stuff because there's there's a lot to be said about this game. Yeah. There, it's really just something else. I would recommend playing it. It is. It's, it's good. Yes. Yes. It is. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, I didn't expect it to impress me in the way that it did, especially <laughs> yeah. being like a 90s point and click. It really is. I'm yeah. really interested in seeing, because I know that I Have No Mouth is very high quality. It seems like this company, Cyber Dreams, they were very ambitious. Yeah. It was like, oh, it's for, like, yeah. like to undoubtedly. Like, to like, not just say like, we're going to make a good game, but it's like, they got these They big, were dedicated. Yeah, they yeah. got these big names attached to it, and- not only that, but it was just like the passion is as palpable. That's like, yes, know. the passion is obviously there. There and it's like I mean, listen, their later logo was a a sheep with a, with lightning bolt legs. These guys are just dyed in the wool nerds. They're dorks. They they probably loved. And it's like imagine that. Though. Imagine getting kind. imagine getting a game at this company. It's just like yo, what did you do? Yeah, I went to HR Geiger's studio, man. Yeah, he showed me this sculpture he made. It's a. Uh, <laughs> It's a dick with a bunch of light bulbs sticking out of it. <laughs> I was fucking, my mind was blown, truly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. But, um, uh, but yeah, sorry, if, uh, Austin, if you want to talk up some, uh, toss up some plugs, we just got a little caught up in our, in our, uh, you know, um, uh, rattlings on of, of, of Tim Curry and. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cyber trucks. I'm and... telling you, that's how Wild Thornberries came about. The jungle and Tim Curry <laughs> equals smashing. <laughs> I, I don't even remember all the crazy bullshit we. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. Uh, I should mention, since this is the first of the Halloween episode, we'll be continuing last year's tradition, and we're going to be doing. Oh, there's some stuff ahead. We're going to be doing four episodes, so part one and two of this, as well as a couple more. Mm-hmm. As instead of our usual two a month, so yeah, especially it's our gift to you. Tune into our website, uh, hotbuttoncast.com, and follow our social media: Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at hotbuttoncast, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or whatever if you aren't already to hear part two of this as well as our other spooky content. I'm very honored that I get to, to do this to do this Halloween stuff. Oh, no, yeah, I'm nice. endlessly thankful for you yeah. uh, doing this research. This I don't, is awesome. I don't have any plugs, but if you play WoW and are on Benediction, look for a character named Anal Fistula. Come say hi to me. God, yeah. I forgot that was your name. Yeah, yeah dude, I get Fuck so him. many people who talk to... Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. 
everybody's like, how did you survive that long in this game, not get reported? And people are amused. They, 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 they get like, and it's oh, also yeah. very memorable. Called yourself out now. Yeah. <laughs> now, dude, now some prick's going to go report me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Come back next week. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Goodbye. Take care. Later. Ha, ha, ha.